0: Let's pray as we begin this morning. Father, we thank you for words, songs that we have been able to sing with our voices today. And Father, as we are your children, and as you have instructed us to worship you, All we know to do is to stand in awe of who you are. Father, we thank you for always working in our lives. And we thank you so much for the gift of your Son and our Savior, Jesus, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And may we always worship you. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Find Luke 19, please, either in your Bible or your smart device or your pew Bible, but find Luke chapter 19, and we're going to begin there in just a moment. Last week, as we looked at the end of chapter 18, we saw the blind beggar. As Jesus is approaching Jericho, there was that blind beggar who was setting on the roadside begging he was in a desperate situation and he needed some help and i love the words after jesus poses the question in verse 41 of chapter 18 he says what do you want me to do for you and the blind beggar just simply said lord i just want to see i just want to see And then he continues on his journey through Jericho, and he finds the well-popular guy, Zacchaeus. And you remember what he does? He goes to where Zacchaeus went, he made his way through the crowd, and he finds the sycamore fig tree, and he climbs that tree because he too just wanted to see Jesus. But because of who he was, and because of What he did, taking people's money as a tax collector, the crowd did everything in their power to not let him see Jesus. He fights his way through the crowd. He climbs that tree so he can get a glimpse of Jesus. And it was Jesus who came to him under that tree and said, Zacchaeus, I want you to come down. Because I need to spend some time with you today. He goes home with them, and that is really starts the commotion, doesn't it? You mean to tell me he is going to be the guest of a sinner? And some time went by where Jesus and Zacchaeus must have had quite a conversation to the point to where when Zacchaeus leaves the presence of Jesus, what does he do? He leaves a changed man. He had a change of heart, he had a change of lifestyle, he had a change of action, and he begins to give back and pay back all that he had taken from others. And Jesus makes the point today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. And we see the mission that Jesus stayed on Son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus didn't let anything, anybody, any circumstance, any event, he didn't let anything stand in his way of his mission that the Father had given him to do. And so the story continues where Jesus tells a parable. He's going through Jericho, on his last journey to Jerusalem. And he finally arrives. He's going to receive the welcome of a king. As he rides triumphantly into the city of David. We'll look at that next week. And everyone's expectations are high. And they're all anticipating the days in Jerusalem, and they expect that Jesus is soon going to come and he's going to proclaim himself as the Messiah and that the kingdom of God is going to come within a short period of time. And so while all the people are gathered around listening, he tells them a story. So the people to whom Jesus is speaking, they are very familiar with this procedure of a man that's going off into a distant country to be inaugurated as king. And you remember, sometimes even the enemies of the man would send delegations asking that they not be appointed. And so, this parable that we're going to look at this morning in Luke 19, beginning in verse 11, it is the only parable that Jesus told that was based on an actual historical event. And here's what happened. When Herod the Great died back in 4 B.C., he left his kingdom divided between Herod Antipas, Herod Philip, and Archelaus. And so that division had to be ratified by the Romans, who were the overlords of Palestine, before it became effective. I mean, everything had to run through their office. And so Archelaus, to whom Judea had been left, went to Rome. And he went to persuade Augustus to allow him to enter into his inheritance. He just wanted what was due him. And so, all of a sudden, as he begins to do that, the Jews had sent an embassy of like 50 men to Rome to inform Augustus that they did not wish to have him as king. In fact, Augustus confirmed him in his inheritance, though without the actual title of king you see in the time of jesus rome ruled the world and no one became a king without first going to rome and so you have herod and you have archelaus that had both followed this procedure and when they returned they would be invested with the power and the authority that was due them as king but then you had this military regiment that would accompany them and so here was the result The result was that Archelaus did not become king of the entire region but was appointed just a ruler over Judea. In fact, he had his palace there in Jericho. Galilee was given to his brother Antipas and Jordan was given to his other brother Philip. And you know what? They had to take that. They had to be okay with that because that was the way that it was going to be. And so while Jesus is using a contemporary example in this story, he's not really speaking about Archelaus or Herod, but he's speaking about himself. And he's giving the people a message that he's not going to Jerusalem to set up his kingdom, but that he's soon going to go off into a distant country to be appointed king, but it would be like no other king had ever been appointed before. And what a difference his kingship has made from that moment even right now as we speak. Because, folks, listen the best place for you and I to be in life is in the will of God, okay? But as we find ourselves in the will of God, that means that we have made Jesus Lord of Lords and King of Kings over all of our life. And so I want you to listen to this story, this parable that Jesus tells. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Do you notice Jesus never stops teaching? He's always finding himself in a teaching mode because the people... They just don't get it, do they? Don't, they don't get the ultimate message. They don't get the picture that Jesus gets. And so he just continues in a very loving and patient way to teach them. Because here's what he wants. He wants other people to be where he is. Do you see that? The blind beggar. What do you want to do? Lord, I just want to see Jesus just want to see. Zacchaeus, what do he want to do? I just want to see Jesus. So if I have to climb a sycamore fig tree in order to look down upon the crowd to see him, I'm going to do that. Jesus wanted people to be where he was. And so look what he does. He tells them this story. He says, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return and so he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. That's worth about three months' wages, three months' salary, okay? And so he called ten of his servants, gave them ten minas, and he says, put this money to work, he said, until I come back. I want you to underline that phrase in your Bible this morning, Highlight it in your smart device, okay? Until I come back. But his subjects hated him, Sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. So he was made king, however, and returned home. And then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. First one came in and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. Second one came in and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant, the third one, came in and said, Sir, here's your mina. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. He said, I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. And his master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest. And then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10. Sir, they said, he already has 10. And he replied, I tell you, that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. You see, his enemies, who did not even want him to rule over them, have declared their resistance to his kingdom. But you know what? He's appointed king in spite of their protest, and he's going to take care of... Of his return, now I want you to see the symbolism in this parable from the get-go. Okay, the certain nobleman symbolized Jesus. Okay, the far country that he's talking about symbolizes heaven. The servants symbolize Christians. His citizens symbolizes that of the unbelievers. And then the mina represented the equal opportunity of life itself for the Christian. It's important to find what those symbols mean in order for the parable to flow and to make sense the way it does. And so here's what happens. We live in that blessed hope of the return of Jesus Christ to the earth as king at his second coming. But what about the in-between time? Just like at somebody's death, you have a birth, you have a death, and what do you have right in between? You have a dash. That dash represents how you spend your life here on earth. What will you do with your dash? And so, what do we do as people of God, as people who claim Jesus is Lord and Jesus is King of Kings, what do we do in the in between time? And this is where the rest of the parable comes in. Because just as Jesus says, put this money to work until I come back, he really says the same to us. You have something to do, he says. And I want you busy doing that. How long? Until I come back. Say that phrase with me. Until. Say it again. Okay. So the day finally arrives in verse 16. First man comes in, in spite of his enemies' objections, he's made king. And upon his arrival, you know, he sends his servants to whom he had been given the money. He wanted to find out what they had gained with what he had given them. And so the first servant comes in and says, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. I mean, the king is just exuberant. And he says, Well done, my good servant. And because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, I want you to take charge of ten cities. That is quite a reward during that day. So verse 18 continues. Second servant comes in. Sir, your mina has earned five more. Servant's also given a reward for what he's done. And so the gain of five minas on his investment of one has earned him five cities. So those two men keep the money initially given, the money they earned, and on top of that are giving a share of the kingdom. I mean, they're doing good, okay? Okay. They're being rewarded for what they were asked to do. Then verse 20, third servant comes in. Here's your minor. And here's what happens. This man's already in serious trouble, but he really makes it worse with his mouth. He makes it worse with what he says. Not only did he fail to make the simplest trade... But he insults the king, and he blames the king for his lack of success. He really kind of goes after his character, doesn't he? And he claims that the master had so intimidated him that he's afraid to lose it, so I'm just going to hide it under a cloth, he says. But but here's what he's saying. He says, I didn't want to do anything wrong. I didn't want to lose the money, so in effect... I didn't do anything. I just hid it, kept it comfortable, kept it safe, exactly what needed to take place. And you know what? Here's what happens. The king finds fault with him, not because he did something evil, but because he did absolutely nothing with what he was given. Now, the other servants are so shocked When the king said, take his mind away from him and give it to the one who has ten. So the king says, I tell you that everyone who has more will be given. So here's the deal. I think the message of Jesus is pretty clear. Those who are faithful will be rewarded with the earnings of the work that they have done plus a whole lot more. And Jesus, the master, the Lord of lords, the king of kings, he is in charge and he is responsible for setting the tone for what that reward will be. That's not up to us, church. That's up to the master. But all we need to be concerned about is this. Whatever Jesus has given us, what's the message? Use it. Use it to my glory, he says, until I come back. So what does this have to do with us today? What does this have to do with us as his people in the in-between time? I think it has everything to do with us because we are the people who are living between the time that Jesus went away to receive the authority and when he returns. And here's what he says. He wants us to be concerned about the advancement of his kingdom while he's gone. Now think about that for a moment. He wants you and I to be concerned in our mind and with everything that we do in investing in his kingdom while he's gone. So that means that we're to be busy with time, with money, with energy, with conversations, with our gifts. We are to be busy focusing on that so we can advance the kingdom of God. But you know what, sometimes we find ourselves in conversations, sometimes we use money, sometimes we invest our time, sometimes we invest energy in everything else but advancing the kingdom of God. Jesus says, what really, really matters is my kingdom. And when you invest your time in all of that, here's what happens. His kingdom becomes your kingdom. What's important to Him becomes important to you. What you do for Him is pleasing from your heart. Amen? What are you doing? to advance the kingdom of God. There's a lot of people who believe that if they just do nothing wrong, that they're going to gain entrance into the kingdom of God. And I believe this parable points a finger into the face of such people warning them that doing nothing gains nothing. Folks, there is no time there's no need in our vocabulary as people of god there's no sense in saying i'm retired from being a christian it's one thing to retire from your job you are never retired doing the work of god amen you are never retired in advancing god's kingdom farther and farther down the road And so, if we think that we're going to impress God at the judgment by telling Him that we did not do anything wrong, we're in for a surprise. God's not going to be asking about what you did not do. He's going to be asking about what you did. Yesterday was kickoff day at Woodall for baseball. There were 10 million people plus at Woodall Field yesterday. Maybe about nine million minus that, right? There was a lot of people at Woodall. I mean, parking out to the loop, okay? One of the things that I told my kids yesterday, and by the way, we won our first game. We were down three points in the last inning. And I told the kids, I said, don't give up. This is, what, this is why we do what we do. This is what we've practiced for. This is, here it is. You know what to do. And one of the kids said, I got you, coach. We got you, Okay? We can take care of this. Well, they did it. But here's what we've taught the kids. When you get up to bat, the only way you can hit the ball is to do what? Swing the bat. So if you go out, if you go out and you get striked out and you have not swung, we're going to talk. If you go out on a third strike, but you swung the bat, that is all we ask for. Because the only way you're going to hit is to swing. The only way that we're going to do something in the kingdom of God is to realize we got work to do. And here's the deal, church. It's not our work. It's God's work. And he says, you continue serving. You continue working until I come back. And so just setting on the premises, just setting back and saying, man, isn't life great? And here we go. Doesn't cut it, does it? And I'm reminded every week as I have conversations with many of you, as we gather in this room to do this right here, to worship God, we do so as a reminder That we are not the ones in charge. God is. And with all the things on our heart. The sin. The heartaches. The troubles. The relationships that are failing. I mean with all the negative stuff that we are bombarded with every day. As we come together With the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to lift our voices up in praise and worship to God, we begin to realize there is somebody fighting for me. There is somebody, the King of Kings, Jesus himself, that's on the throne. And he's inviting us to bring everything that we have to him. And let him sort it out. Let him work it out. And you know what? That's good news, isn't it, church? It is good news to know that Jesus is on his throne and he's coming back. And when he comes back, he wants to find his servants alive and well and busy in the kingdom of God. And I want to say this, being critical is not a spiritual gift. Do you realize that? It's nowhere in Scripture. Being critical is not a spiritual gift. If you're doing nothing, don't stand back and criticize someone who is doing something even if it's not perfect in your eyes. Because I want to tell you something, church. You and I are not in charge. Jesus is. All of us have to stand at one time and give an account for what I do. For what I say. and You have to do the same thing. And what's going to matter at that point, it's not, what did you not do? But what did you do? You know, so often in life, we define the Christian life in negative terms. We describe Christianity by saying what it is not. We say that a person is a Christian because of the things they do not do. We sometimes hear people remark, he is a Christian man. He doesn't smoke, he doesn't drink, he doesn't swear. He doesn't even go with girls that do. You know the joke. If that is the way that we have reduced Christianity, oh, my heart's broken, isn't yours? Listen, folks, Christianity is not a matter of what we do not do. It's a matter of what we do because it's a matter of who we are right here in our hearts. And when our hearts are full of joy and are full of Jesus, other people are going to notice that. Other people are going to want to be a part of that. I love A.W. Tozer, and in his book, The Pursuit of God, look at what he says. The widest thing in the universe is not space. It's the potential capacity of the human heart. Being made in the image of God, he says, it is capable of almost unlimited extension in all directions. So, Christians should seek for inner enlargement. Oh, I love that. The heart of God is big, isn't it? The heart of God is so big that he wants to fill your heart with that bigness. He wants to overflow your heart with all the things that he has. The widest thing in the universe is not space, but it's that capacity of the human heart. So I've got a question this morning. What are you filling your heart with? Because we find ourselves in this parable. Whatever he's given to us, what do we do? do we, are we selfish with it and we hide it under a cloth and we don't want to tell anybody about it? Sometimes we're tempted to do that. But then we realize, that's not for me to do. So what do we do with what God has given us? So I think really the question comes down to this. Do you really want the kingdom of God to advance in this world? Do you? And are you faithfully using what God and His goodness has given you? Or does He get the leftovers? Does He get the crumbs? I don't know where you are. I don't know where your heart is. But I know this: the God that created us wants all of us. He wants our whole being, our whole heart. because again, when He has your heart, he has it all. so think about think about all the gifts that God has given you? Just you. How are you using them to His glory to advance His kingdom until He comes back? Let's stand and sing.